Welcome to Coaching for a Living, a podcast for coaches who want to build financially viable coaching businesses and make a living doing what they love. I'm your host, Alisa Barkan, and I am thrilled to have you here. Are you ready to take the next step in your coaching business? Let's go. Hello, hello, onion rings. Welcome back to Coaching for a Living Friends. Today, we have the pleasure of being joined by Melissa Smith, who is the founder and CEO of the Association of Virtual Assistants and the PVA, a firm that matches clients with the right virtual assistants. Melissa is also the best-selling author of two books, Hire the Right Virtual Assistant and Become a Successful Virtual Assistant. Additionally, she also mentors for Remote Howe Academy, the first global online education and individual certification program. What do you think we're going to talk about today? Virtual assistants, of course. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alyssa. It's great to be here. Well, thank you for accepting to join us. And it's great to have you here and to listen to your story, because I know that you didn't just founded the Association of Virtual Assistants and the PVA out of nothing. You were a VA yourself before you did that. So um, tell us a bit about the story behind that transition. Yes. So I, I actually started as an executive assistant. I worked in an office for over 15 years. My mother was an assistant. And so I always knew I wanted to be an assistant. I went to secretary school. This was my path in life. This is my trajectory. And I was doing the thing that I loved. And then about 10 years ago, in September of 2012, I was three days into a new job when I got the news that my husband had died. And so that just set off a chain of events that was a lot of uncomfortableness, a lot of change, a lot of moving, just a lot of chaos uh, in that. But one of the things that came out of that was my lifestyle as an assistant in person just no longer met the needs of me and my family. And I had always said, I will never start my own business. Like, I, that sounds awful. I don't ever want to do that. Everyone I knew owned their own business. They were married to it, right? It was like a construction business or a restaurant. And you had to work when the work was there. And I was like, nope, I don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to have to live that life. I don't care how much money they're making. I want to be able to do more of what I want to do to be with my children, even if they're older and teenagers or in college. And so um, it got to the point I was uh, in a new job. It was in there just under a year. And I loved that job. I actually thought I was going to be there forever. The average person had worked at that school for over 20 years. And so I thought, well, that's going to be me. I can totally see why people stay here for the rest of their lives. And then it came, my daughter came to me and she said, you know, I need to go back to Georgia. Um, I, this is not my home. I, I want to finish school in Georgia. She was going into her senior year of high school. We were in California at the time. I went to my boss and I said, I have to give my two weeks notice. And he said, we don't want to lose you. How can we keep you? And I said, well, I can do most of what I do virtually. I don't have to be here in the office. And he said, okay, let's do that. And so I became the first remote employee. And then I started doing some work and I started being like, wow, this is like really working. I mean, I thought it would work, but I didn't realize how well it would work and how well it would be received. So when we had to sign contracts every year, so when I got my contract, it was just looking at me and I thought, I can't sign it. 
I, I want to start my own business. I think I can do this for myself. <laughs> so I sent it back unsigned. I didn't have a business plan. I didn't know what I was doing. I don't recommend it for everyone. It was right for me. Um, I needed that kind of nativity to, to go into business. Um, if I knew what I was getting myself into, I probably would have been like, oh, I can't do that uh, and not done it. So that worked for me. I don't recommend that path for everybody. And they supported me. I finished out my contract and became a virtual assistant. And so then I was doing a lot of networking. I was meeting a lot of people, educating on virtual assistants, what we do, how we could help them. And at the end of the conversation, I'd always say, can, you know, can I hire you? And I would say no. And they would look at me like I was crazy, but I would just tell them I'm not that type of VA. And they would say, well, where does one find that type of person? And I thought, gosh, I know tons of people. So I began making introductions like that, but only a year later, <laughs> did it occur to me that, wow, you know, I wonder if someone would pay me to do this. So I tried it and they did. And that really changed everything. It changed my business model. I wrote a book on the subject and uh, it, it really took off from, from there. And, but that was, <laughs> that was not at the beginning. That first year in business is a joke I can only laugh about now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know what that's like. And <laughs> I can totally relate. I never, ever thought that I would um, start my own business. I was such a good employee, right? <laughs> yes, I was a great employee. I was. I mean, I, exactly. I'm still friends with all my bosses. I, I was an excellent employee. I really loved being an employee. Because I think the flip side of that was I had a real heart for the employer as well because so many of my family members own their own business. And so I could see the struggle on the other end when you have someone who's not performing or someone you can't rely on. And, you know, then you have to go in or you get called in or you get called away or, you know, you just can't relax. So I was like, I see that on the other end. I, I don't want anyone to think about that when they think of me. So I think that really was one of the driving factors other than just my upbringing to being a good employee and really having that desire to be a good employee. Mm. I think you maybe had an advantage as well as a disadvantage for being able to see the other side. I went in completely blind. I had no one around me in my immediate circle that had a business or had started a business. And so, yeah, I, uh, I had no idea what it meant to run a business and mm -hmm. what it meant to become mentally the owner of your business, which is a completely different shift in mindset. Yes. Um, I, I, it's one of the biggest things that my business coach, my first business coach had to work on with me is to rid me of my employee mindset. I just had so much trouble getting rid of that employee mindset. And later on, um, it was a few years after that, was really getting rid of the idea that I always have to be working in order to make money, right? Everyone that I knew, whether they own their own business or not, like hardworking, always working. Like that was like something that you could, it was one of the best things you could have said about them, right? Such a hard worker, always working. Um, yeah. And the only time they stop is for their family. So it's like you can work or you can be with your family kind of situation. And I had totally bought, bought into that. That's the way I lived my entire life. So then shifting away from that was was a few years after that. I, I couldn't have done that at the same time <laughs> as, as yeah. I shifted from employee mindset. That would have been too much for me. I agree. I recently wrote a few articles on this um, and I fell into the same trap. 
thinking that working hard was a badge of honor and being mm -hmm. busy all the time and, you know, hustling and buying into the hustle culture was something that every single business owner needed to do. And it took me a while to get to the point where I realized, okay, I'm kind of burnt out. I either continue to do this and have serious consequences on my health or I step back and think about it in a different way. And actually that is when I started to contemplate getting some help. I think it comes from this idea that we got, that you have to pay your dues, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, oh yeah, like I, I'm willing to put in the hard work. I'm willing to pay my dues, but we forget, we, we've really kind of done that. Like that, <laughs> we've already like gone through training. We've already gone through the hard times. We've already gone through the schooling. We've already worked our way up to get to it. Where now, what dues are we paying now? And that yeah. what, when, when a coach asked me that question, I didn't have an answer. I, I didn't have an answer because it just made sense when someone said, well, you got to pay your dues. I'm like, whoa, that makes sense. Everybody has to pay their dues to go from entry level employee to CEO. Like that doesn't even make sense. You 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 wouldn't even have enough experience to to deal with your people where they are and be a good leader in that. But it's just like in theory, if you take it and put it into actual context and then try to ask that same question, like why do you think that is? Or what dues would you pay now? And what are you learning from them um, that you haven't already done? It just it brings out a whole a whole nother piece. And oftentimes people can't answer that question or they're answering the question. I'm like, but Jerry did that. I guess it's a case of making the mistake and then learning from it. And mm -hmm. that is something that I think we kind of all have to go through as much as a mentor would tell you, well, actually don't do that because you might regret it. The lesson gets more solidified when you've made a mistake and realize that you were wrong and then learn from that mistake. Um, since we're talking about mistakes, Let's go back to uh, virtual assistants. And I want to ask you, um, what is the biggest mistake that people make when it comes to hiring a VA? Oh, the biggest mistake is not conducting due diligence. And it may be because this person is a trusted referral from one of your closest friends or colleagues, uh, one of your, your groups. And so they say, oh, I have a VA, I know. And so you're like, well, I really trust this person. They're doing great. They're, they sing the praises of this person. So I'm just going to go ahead and hire them. And due diligence isn't just about contacting references and having conversations with them or doing background checks, which also is part of it though, that I absolutely do those things for my clients, but it's also about, let's have a conversation. Let me interview you as though I don't know you and you're coming off the street. And let me ask you some questions. Does this make sense for us to work together? Do you even like to do the things that I'm asking you to do? So often clients think, well, you know, she's a coach, I'm a coach, she loves that assistant, why wouldn't I elaborate? But maybe you want the assistant to do completely separate things. Oftentimes, VAs, especially when they've been with that client for a long time, they get really close to their clients. They don't want to lose them. So maybe they're performing services for that client, but they no longer perform those services for other clients. They, they do other mm -hmm. things. But because that client is so special to them, they don't dissolve those services for them but it's not something they offer. There's just a lot of different things. And the due diligence not only solidifies that experience, but when you bump up to issues when you're working together, as everyone does, you don't immediately think, oh no, did I hire the wrong person? Oh no, let me take this over. Because that's the other side of it. 
And I, a lot of my clients have already tried to hire the right person and hired the wrong person simply because they hired the first person that they ever spoke with. If you were in a company and there was a bad hire and your boss and the HR department came to you and they were like, gosh, this person seemed like we could have done a little bit better here. How many candidates did you interview? What made this candidate stand out over the other candidates? And you're like, oh, I didn't even interview anyone else. <laughs> I didn't even look at another resume. I mean, imagine the shock. <laughs> imagine the shock that would take place in that company. And you may be a company of one, but you still owe it to yourself to have that due diligence. And yes, it, it takes time. It doesn't have to be a lot of time, but yes, you have to slow down. This is an important hire for your company. You have to do the due diligence. Yeah. I think that rush also maybe comes from the fact that a lot of people kind of leave it a bit late before they finally decide to work with a virtual assistant. And therefore they are like struggling to get everything done. So they just want to hire the first person. Uh, would yes. you say that's true? Yes. It's a very popular question when I'm being interviewed is, when's the perfect time to hire a VA? And my, my answer is always the same, before you need one. Because by the time you need one, you're already starting to accumulate that time debt if you're not already in it already. And you have to remember that no matter how much of a rock star VA you are hiring, that person has to onboard you and you have a responsibility to onboard them right? Imagine any senior executive coming to, into your company, you're, you're hiring them because they're senior, right? This person knows what they're doing. They still have an onboarding time in that company and your VA is no different. You have to get a working rhythm down. You have to get what good looks like down. You're getting the communication patterns down. You're doing all these things so that you can work seamlessly together. That does not happen overnight, even with the best VAs. Um, I know some VAs and when they start working with their clients, they're like, let's knock it out in a day. So in a day, they'll spend the whole day together working through all passwords and systems and processes and funnels. So they'll do like a real deep dive kind of a day. And a lot of clients would think, oh my gosh, I don't have a day to give. I'm like, well, that's yeah. fine. But you do have to have some time. You should be meeting with your VA daily when you have that first hire. There's going to be a lot of questions and that's normal. But if you're hiring someone and they're coming in to put out all your fires and you're already behind, that's not fair to them. It's not a really fun situation to come into. But it also, again, backs up that timing for how long you're actually going to feel relief more than, wow, now I just hired someone who has more questions for me, instead of having the mindset of, I am so excited to share my business with you and take this off my plate. Those are completely two different mindsets. So speaking of hiring the VA before you actually gravely need one, mm -hmm. uh, I know that there's a technique that you suggest to people in terms of budgeting for a VA. Uh, would you like to tell us more about that? Yeah. So we talk about creating a line item for your business. You know you're going to be hiring someone in the future, right? Just like if you wanted to save it for a car or a house or a vacation, you know you're going to want that. So every time that you, you know, sell one of your products or services or engagements, put a little bit of that away. And that is the line item that you would pay for a VA. And pretty soon you have it enough tucked away so you can say, oh, I do have a budget. I, I do have a budget to hire someone because you know, a lot of clients are saying, oh, but I'm so busy, but it's not in my budget. Well, 
it's never going to be in your budget unless you put it there. It, nothing magically enters in unless it's some like government or taxes and they're like come demanding money from you. We have to put in what we want. And I have a client, it was the first client that actually came to me and said, we did what you said. It's so awesome. So they actually put an administration <laughs> fee unbeknownst to the client, the client just gets this engagement service fee. They don't know how all the funds are being split up. Right. But on the back end, the client does, they have part of that portion is the administration fee. And so they put it aside to actually work with me. And then now they have it on all their engagements. So each engagement, they know that this VA already has a way to be paid. And yeah. they said, had we not done that, you know, it would have been a lot longer, but it also got them thinking all the time, we're going to be hiring a VA. We need to, you know, document this, or we need to make sure that we're doing this correctly each time. So when the VA comes in here, they're not confused. <laughs> like, well, you said you yeah. do it this way, but I've seen it go out this way a few times. Which way is it at exactly? And it's really been preparing them the whole time. And whether or not someone hires me, that is a great way to ensure that you have a budget for a VA. And whether you're going to take it from certain client engagements or whether you're just going to put it aside in savings and add it up that way, you, you really do have to have it as a line item. Just the same way you would say, I want to hire another coach for my business, or I want to have another consultant for my business, or I want to hire a, a new marketing team not planning for it puts such a strain on your finances because then it looks like you're finding money. Like you're looking for kind of like a lottery fund somewhere in your own finances. <laughs> but when you budget and you plan for it, it's much more, okay, well, I do know that I can afford this and I do know that I'm going to pay for this. And it becomes a lot easier to work with than looking for some large sum of money to just drop from the sky. I love that, um, that technique too set aside money for a VA as if that VA is already working for you and you have an admin fee that you are paying this future VA, right? For those listening who don't know what a line item is, um, Melissa is referring to having a specific place inside your budget that you have a sum that you put aside for hiring a VA. So um, thank you so much for sharing that. We are going to talk about pricing ranges and what budget are we talking about a little bit later, but I just realized that we've been talking about VAs. I consider this to be common knowledge, but maybe other people don't. So let's talk a little bit about what a VA can do for you, because I'm not sure people realize how many types of VAs there are and how specialized some of them can be. Yes. So the the breadth of knowledge and the different types of VAs is quite vast. So when clients come to me and say, what can a VA do? I usually flip that around and I said, what would you want a VA to do? If you could wave your magic wand and hire a VA to do it, what would that be? That's a much better way to get to your needs than saying what a VA can do, because that's quite large. It's like going onto a car lot and saying, what do you got? <laughs> the sales person would be, we got a lot, like, can you narrow it down a bit? Um, but, you know, just to give you an idea, you have general and executive VAs. General VAs are not client-facing. Executive VAs are client-facing. And they're going to do what I would call more traditional assistant work. So that may be emails, calendaring, invoices, travel, scheduling, minutes, uh, note-taking, agendas, board meetings, 
all that kind of more what I would call traditional type of work. Now there's a whole, whole nother side. So you have tech. So tech could be websites. It could be landing pages. It could be lead magnets. It could be websites creation. It could be linking everything together, e-commerce integration. It could be mm-hmm. online courses. Uh, we're, we're getting podcasts kind of out of that. It's kind of coming into its own thing now, but that also yeah. includes podcasting and all the things that go along with that. Then another big side is social media and social media. I mean, you could go down a rabbit hole for that because we got to get really specific on that. So we're not talking about content that you have that you just want someone to post for you. Any VA could do that. But we're talking about they're creating the content calendar. They're repurposing your content. They're building your engagement. They're building your followers. They're building your conversions, that sort of thing on specific platforms. The platforms are so dynamic now that you typically have a VA who will specialize in one or two, but not more Mm -hmm. than that when it comes to social media. Um, then you have launches and launches are kind of everything all in one. They're quite complex. The difference between hiring a VA who's done a launch before or has a launch team versus someone who's not is 100% in the user experience. Mm-hmm. Because you're doing everything that you would do before, right? You're sending out the emails, you have the funnels, you have the tags, you have the automatic things that people are buying or selling, all that kind of stuff. But the launch is so powerful based on the user experience. For the user, it doesn't feel like they're going through this huge funnel to get to the end. It feels like they saw something where you had something to sell or a service and they got to click on it. It resonated with them. They bought it. Then they got an email giving them whatever it is that they bought. And then they got some follow-up emails explaining you you scheduled a call with them. It's super easy. And we've all been on places where like, oh my gosh, how many emails am I going to get from this person today? Um, that is, that's not the same kind of experience, but in order to do that, you really have to have a team who can not only anticipate your needs and think really far out, but who can also look at your user, your audience and the client experience, and then create that launch to tailor their experience. Um, and while you could have a VA and they're like, Oh, I've done all this before. If they If they have not done a user experience before, that does not set them up for success for a launch. And that could be a podcast launch, a book launch, an online course launch, a mastermind launch. I mean, list goes on and on. But I like to tell clients, if if there's a need, there's a VA out there who does it. And then within all of those things, you still have different specializations. So VAs who work with coaches, VAs who work with interior designers, and VAs who work with real estate professionals, with wealth advisors, mindset coaches versus money coaches and life coaches and weight loss coaches. I mean, the list goes on and on, but I would say, uh, someone just asked me the other day, like, what, who do VDAs really like to work for? And hands down, it's coaches just in general. And the reason why is because typically if you're a coach, you have a real growth, caring, learning, curious mindset that's also positive. Mm -hmm. 
And VAs really love that and really love to be around that type of energy versus someone who may not <laughs> be in that space. And <laughs> they uh, may not always be the most positive person. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. It looks like we are in luck. We are VA's favorite clients as coaches. Yes. <laughs> I, um, I assume that based on the classifications that you've kind of made earlier, um, people can expect to pay different sums depending on how specialized the VA is and whether they are client facing or not. Can you give us an indication of pricing and what one can expect to pay by working with a VA? Sure. So general VAs, again, not client-facing or anywhere from 25 to 35 an hour. Currently, that's U.S. and Canada. It's not so different for, for Europe, though. Executive VAs, yeah. 35 to 55 an hour. And then technical and social media, they run more along like 40 to 55 or, or 60 um, marketing. That's going to run you higher, 50 to 60 an hour. Launches, you're going to want to uh, bank or budget 2500 as a minimum for a launch, depending upon the size. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of VAs have package prices as well. So um, when we think of package pricing, if we had to break that down in hours, it would be about that as well. And what clients really need to remind themselves of is VAs are not like employees. So the whole 20 hours a week or 40 hours a week is quite antiquated. The average VA works for a client five to 10 hours a week, and you can retain a VA for as little as 10 hours a month. Now, sometimes people say, well, the goal for me is I really would want someone to work for me full-time, 20 hours a week, 40 hours a week. And that is rare, rare. So typically clients that are hiring VAs at 20 hours a week, they're grossing probably a few million dollars at least. Uh, if they have a larger company, it's a few hundred million. They have a lot of employees as well. It's not typical. Now, I do have some clients who are uh, serial entrepreneurs, but in smaller sides of business, but they're doing large revenue. So they need a VA to help them manage all those things. But it is more rare. And I still have never met anyone who's hired a VA at 40 hours a week. It's just not common. But when you get to that 20-hour a week mark or more, you actually have negotiating room because VAs don't price their services for that many hours a week for a single client. So there is some negotiating room on that. That brings us to what I think is an interesting point. How many clients would a VA normally work with before they're maxed out? Because I know, um, I think you call it business implosion is a big issue here where VAs are so solicited and they kind of tend to say yes to too many mm -hmm. clients and then they, they cannot face that. So let's talk about that a bit. So on average, it's about three to five, depending on how demanding each client is. And then also depending on what type of VA does. So if they're doing, let's say, social media posting, um, for their clients or um, calendar, social media calendaring, they might be able to take on more than that because they could knock it out for the month in one day and then have a calendar scheduling tool that allows them to take on more clients. The deeper the work they're doing with the client on a daily basis really is the deciding factor on how many clients they can take. Then if they bring on more people to their team, 
maybe they're still working with you face-to-face, but they have other people on their team doing some other things. They can bring on more clients, but usually unless they have an agency model, I've never seen a VA have more than 10 clients with their own team. And then with the agency model, they can grow just like any other business as long as they manage that expectation. But for the solo VA, it's about three to five. Part of that too is because the average VA works 20 to 30 hours a week. So they're not looking to work a 40 hour work week. They're looking for that freedom and flexibility in their schedule. So any more than that, and they really start to lose that, that freedom and flexibility because again, you know, you may have a client and it's not that busy, but every client will go through an ebb and flow in a, in a busy season. So you want to plan to be able to dedicate more time to them during whatever that busy season is for them. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Let's talk about this trend that we've been seeing lately, which is an influx of VA services from emerging countries, usually for a lower fee or um, a lower package price. What's your view on that? And is there a trade-off there that maybe we need to be aware of if we're considering a VA from an emerging country? Yes, there is a trade-off. And you know, if that is all you can afford and you need some help, I would not tell anyone not to do that. I absolutely wouldn't. I'm not saying that you can't get a really great VA from another country, but the trade-off is is a type of work. Um, And culturally, it's not always common for them to anticipate their clients' needs. They're waiting to be assigned to do something. It's a lot more delegating than when you hire a true assistant. So the mark of any true assistant, whether human or AI, is the ability to anticipate your needs. And Historically, VAs in other countries aren't known for anticipating needs. They're known for being great task takers. So the trade-off is there is that delegation. Now, if you think, wow, I'm an awesome delegator, then that's probably a great route for you. I know a lot of clients and they are awesome delegators. It comes naturally to them. I think they're actually really great at it. And so they never mind that kind of work. But a lot of clients are like, gosh, it's so much work. I have to tell people how to do something exactly the way it has to be done. And if I were to have skipped even the tiniest step, they're not going to do it. They're not going to be like, oh, I think she missed a step. Like, let me just go ahead and do it. Or let me even ask her or him about it. And so that's often the issue. There's usually a language barrier. Some of the locations don't always match up. They don't really always know what they're scheduling for. They don't know about traffic. That can be difficult when they're doing meetings. If someone throws any sarcasm into it, which is very common in the States where people (laughs) are sarcastic in their emails, um, it's very hard for the VAs to to pick up on that. Um, But there's, I think, a lot of things that are really cost-effective when you're hiring um, a VA, things like research and spreadsheets and, and database. And I think a lot of those things are so great too, because if there's that huge time difference, then it, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter that they're working when they're working. It just gets done based on the deadline. The other thing is if that's the place where you start out, at least you have a budget. At least you're starting and you're getting used to paying someone else to do the work. I have a lot of clients come to me and say, I've been using BAs like this for a while. I'm ready to level up. And it's also given them an example of 
you know, were they a good delegator? Did they enjoy it? Did they like it? What didn't they like about it? What do they really want now? What would be really beneficial? But it got them in the habit of working with somebody. And that's really important because as much as you might think, oh my gosh, it would be so great to get some help. When it comes down to it, there are times where you're going to be like, oh, I could do this myself and it would take me no time. If I have to explain this to somebody, it's going to take me some time. Let me just do it myself. Mm. It just becomes this habit that becomes hard to break. And so I, I think there's a lot of reasons that you would use a, a VA overseas, but as long as you know what you're getting into and you have the right expectations, that's key. Because a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to pay a VA in the Philippines or Asia this amount of money, and I'm going to get this great service, and their expectations are not met, and then they're super, super frustrated. <laughs> um, but if they go into it saying, okay, I'm going to have my expectation that this person is going to do this research and fill out this spreadsheet for me correctly based on this, and I'm going to get my money's worth out of it, that's a much much better way to think about it when you go in knowing that you have to be very clear when you go into it knowing that you're you're hiring from cultures who don't push back they're not going to yeah. tell you i don't think that's right i think we could do it a better way are you sure and some clients they really want that they're they're looking for a va to help them and to say could this be done better could this be done a different way do you see anything wrong with this and you're not going to get that Historically, statistically, when you hire, it's just not part of their culture. Their culture is to be extremely accommodating, to be extremely kind, and to do exactly what you say, no more, no less. That makes sense. It's a good entry point, and it can be a great experience, mm -hmm. but it really depends on what you need, what you expect that VA to do, and to be aware of those cultural differences. Mm -hmm. So you've walked us through quite a lot of things when it comes to hiring a VA, but um, for people who are ready to do so now, I know you've put together an interactive hiring workbook. Tell us more about that. Yes. So whether your client goes, I know exactly what I need, or you're the client that says, I know I need help. I don't know where to start. This workbook is for you. It details my complete process. And we start with the top 10 reasons that you would hire a VA and go all the way through to how you would even let a VA go. So you're really going through the workbook and uncovering the things that are going to help you hire the VA who's going to have the greatest impact now, but then also be able to grow with you in the future. Hiring the right VA as well as any job is also about attracting the right people. So I help you write a job description that will attract the right VA. And then we go through the scheduling process. We go through how to compare the proposals and contracts. And so you can really take the emotion out of it and it it kind of serves as your own little like HR department because when you're walking through and you're like, oh, I don't know what I'm, I'm doing. So you're actually just following the steps. And I've had a lot of people say like, this is awesome. Um, one of my greatest compliments was actually from a friend of mine. She said, hey, can I get your workbook? And I said, sure. Um, and she was hiring someone overseas. She travels all the time. Um, now she's permanent residence in Italy. And she really did want to hire someone. Um, in the Philippines or Asia. Those countries are very near and dear to her heart. So she really wanted to give back and hire someone there. And she went through the workbook 
And as someone who has an HR background, she said, it's so thought out that I could take my expertise, what I know from my hiring background, and then I could take all the things that I didn't know I didn't know and now really hire someone with confidence and feel like I did it all. Like, you know, there's no guarantee when you hire anybody, but now at least I feel super, super confident that I made the right thing. And when you take that, when you're just like going down the steps and you're kind of taking out all the emotion of it and you're just following the instructions, it makes the hiring process actually a lot, lot easier um, because the emotions are sometimes what cloud us, right? We want this, but you know, we need that. And um, there's this budget over here and there's this thing over here. And, you know, and then we start thinking about our families and there's a lot to think about. There's a lot of weight on our shoulders as business owners. And so if we can kind of get outside of that and just go through the instructions, it makes it so much easier. And for a lot of people working with a VA, this would be the kind of their first hire, even if it's not an employee and it's a mm -hmm. contractor and that can be a huge overwhelm for people and a, a great cause of stress and worry. So having a workbook like the one that you are generously sharing can actually be a great help. And I will make sure that I link that in the show notes for people to go and check it out. Lastly, I want to ask you, what are you excited about? What's new for, or what's next for you and your business? You know, I, I'm actually excited about updating my second book. So I updated Hire the Right Virtual Assistant back in 2019. And I had another book, Become a Successful Virtual Assistant, that was put out in 2018. And I felt like I've needed to redo it, but it wasn't something I was excited about. And um, I said, you know, this time around, I want to be excited. The first times I put out books, I just put them out. I knew they had to go there. But this time I said, you know, with everything I know now, I really want to be excited about it. And I, I wouldn't say I was procrastinating as much. I was waiting for that, that inspiration. What's going to be my inspiration behind this one. And so this one I'm, I'm excited because this one is going to be a lot more interactive. They have their own workbook as well, but this one, I'm going to be more interactive about how to have calls, have consultations, the psychology behind them, what's working, what's not. Because as much as I love entrepreneurship, I, I don't, what I would call bow down to the ladder of entrepreneurship. A lot of people told me, oh, you need an online class. You should be doing this. You should be having like an evergreen course. And, and I like to do things so custom and so personal that I was like, I, I wouldn't buy that course. I'm not going to build anything that I would not buy myself just for the sake of, of having it. But I've finally been able to detach myself enough to see, okay, how can I still be personal, but still make it all about them? This is not, it's still tailored to you. And that's what I do with my clients, right? <laughs> that's what I do with them. So I'm really excited to be able to do that now um, for VAs. This won't be just another cookie cutter thing. Do, here's what I did. Do it exactly the way I did. That's exactly what it will not be. It will be, here's like a framework. Here's why things work. Here's what you need to do. Um, because a lot of us, we get into business and people tell us things and coaches tell us things. I'm like, but I don't know what that means. I've never seen anyone do that. Like, Oh, uh, how do I get, how do, can I do this and not make it feel like icky or salesy or like I'm reading from a script or a template. 
And so I'm really excited about that. Yeah, it sounds exciting. And I'm really excited to see the uh, revised version come out. And yeah, we will leave links to your two books in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for sharing everything with us, Melissa. And I'm sure that many people will now think twice about what it means to hire a VA. When is it that you need to hire one and what to do about it? So thank you so much again. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks for having me, Alyssa. You just finished listening to an episode of the Coaching for a Living podcast. Did you know that you can send me an audio message directly? Check out the show notes for a link that allows you to do that. You can use it to send in a question you have about building a coaching business or to simply share your impressions about the podcast and any suggestions for what content you'd like me to cover in the future. I cannot wait to hear from you. Again, check out the show notes for the link and who knows? Maybe I'll feature your message in a future episode. All right, that's it for today. I'm Alisa Barkan, and I'll catch you next time.